Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. There we go. Sweet. It's good to see you this morning. Everybody awake? You good? I feel like I'm talking to an empty room. I didn't know if anybody was sitting in front of me or not. Uh, anyway, it is, it is good to be here this morning. Uh, and so uh, we're in Acts chapter 10, and we're finally getting to like what the whole chapter's been pointing towards, right? It's kind of like been in slow motion when we start with Cornelius at the beginning of 10 and his dream to go find a guy named Peter. Then we see Peter's dream of, of unclean and clean animals, what to do with that. And next, last week, we finally saw he finally makes it to uh, Cornelius' home, uh, and he says, why am I here? And Cornelius tells why he's here, that he wanted to hear everything that he had been commanded uh, by God to share, and then it, it ends. And so finally this morning, we get to the point where Peter is finally going to tell Cornelius what Cornelius was waiting to hear, even though he didn't know what he was waiting to hear, but he knew he needed to hear something. And so we're finally there when we get to Acts chapter 10. This morning we'll be in verses 34 through 43. As by really by way of introduction, because uh, this morning is really going to be uh, the gospel. Uh, Peter, uh, it's actually his most simple gospel presentation uh, here, because in the past, in the book of Acts, when we've seen Peter preach the gospel, there was a lot of persuading that had to happen, right? And so he was with the Sanhedrin or these religious leaders, these people who didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was. And so there was a lot of persuading, which in some preaching, there is a persuading aspect to evangelism or to preaching. But now we have a different context. We have people who are just waiting to hear the good news. And so Peter doesn't get up. Uh, what we see is a prepared heart for, for really to hear the gospel. Uh, and so when Peter stands up to preach this sermon, he just goes simply through the gospel, and we'll see next week that they believe and are baptized. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, for the church this morning, and obviously I would assume, and uh, sometimes you get in trouble for assume, assuming, uh, but I would assume that the majority of you that are in here uh, this morning are a follower of Jesus, right? You, uh, why else would you come to church today, week in and week out, whenever you could sleep in on Sundays and stay in the warm place? And uh, I, I would assume that majority of you that are here are followers of Jesus. So why or what could uh, the gospel, just a gospel sermon this morning mean for you or do for you? Uh, I would like to quote Paul when he says, 1 Corinthians 15, that I will remind you of the gospel, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved. And what he said was, is that, that Christ died and that he was buried, that he rose again. So this morning, we are going to be reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because by it, is our stance before God. And like, maybe we just need to be reminded that, hey, child of God, your stance before God is not based on anything you've done or haven't done, but what he has done on your behalf. It is his work and what he's done. That's how you stand before God this very morning. And maybe you need to be reminded that you are being saved, that maybe this week, maybe you have felt the weight of your sanctification, Right, sometimes sanctification, yeah, you like really you don't see it, but sometimes you say you you just feel your own need for it, right? You you feel the weight. It's the the the, the work that God's doing in your life, and you and the the more that you're sanctified, the more you realize how how sinful you are, and you just feel you just feel sanctification. Anybody with me? 
And you'd be reminded that it is the gospel that has both enabled your sanctification and accomplishes your sanctification. That it is a historical event. This is what's crazy about Christianity. Like our, our faith is not on my feelings. It's not on my emotions. It's not even in my intellect. It is based in an historical fact that Christ lived, that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again and he ascended and he seated at the right hand of the Father. That in itself has purchased not only our salvation, but our very sanctification. We need to be reminded of that. Because we don't wake up in gospel mode every day. Right? We don't wake up, and even on Sundays, we don't wake, wake up in gospel mode. Uh, let's be honest, for, for, for many of us, we don't wake up this morning going, I can't wait to get to the house of the Lord to sing praises. You, we begrudgingly got out of bed. It was cold. Uh, everything, maybe people cut you off on the way to church, and you said choice words to, her, to them, and uh, you got here, and finally, and then the kids, your kids spill something, and craziness has happened, and we don't always wake up in gospel mode, not even on Sunday, and we just need to be reminded on Sunday sometimes of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm thankful that we're at to the point in Acts chapter 10 where Peter simply just opens his mouth and preaches the gospel. Let's read Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. <clears throat> so... Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is accept acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews, excuse me, and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, and made him appear, not to all people, but to us, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge, uh, judge, to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Pray with me. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. Oh, we thank you for an opportunity to open your word. We pray now that as we do so, or as our attention turns to God, that you'll give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe this very morning. God, I pray for the, for the child of God that we'll be reminded of your great gospel, for the one who, who is maybe skeptical, maybe hasn't truly believed in Jesus for salvation, that this morning you'll use the, the sermon of Peter to, to, to draw them to yourself. God, be with us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I uh, entitled this sermon this morning, The Gospel, Why, Who, How? Why, Who, How? I think as we walk through this text, we'll see, have you ever thought why we even have the gospel? Like, have you ever thought about like what, like, we take the gospel for granted so much, have we ever thought like, why is there even a gospel? Why is there even good news for us? Because we understand our depravity. We understand our brokenness. We understand, have we ever thought the fact, what, what inclined God to even give us good news? So we'll see the why. We'll see the who of the gospel. And thirdly, we will see the how, how we experience the gospel. 
Notice in verse 34, first of all, he says, and Peter opened his mouth. Peter opened his mouth, and so we're finally there. He's finally opened his mouth, and this is a, a way in their times, whenever you read and he opened his mouth, usually it was about to be followed by something very weighty. And it was a way of writing and a way of reading that whatever's coming after he opened his mouth is about to be big. We've seen it already. We saw it with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And we've seen it with Stephen. When he opened his mouth, something big was about to come out. Something weighty was about to come out. Ultimately, by him open, when it says he opened his mouth, it indicates that he was about to preach the gospel. And I began to think, what does it mean to share the gospel? This is just, I guess, introduction part two. He opened his mouth. He was about to preach something weighty. Then I began, to th began thinking, what does it mean to actually preach the gospel? Have you ever thought about that for a moment? Is it simply saying, in our own personal lives, is, is sharing the gospel simply saying how Jesus changed our life? Is it just giving testimony? Or is it going to a buddy saying, hey, I got good news for you that God loves you? In the New Testament, the gospel presentation primarily is understood in terms of a definite content. As in, this content isn't about me or what God has done in my life or even you. What we see through the book of Acts is the content focuses on the person and the work of Jesus. That who he is and what he has done and what is added on is how we can receive the benefits of his ministry by faith. So when we're thinking about sharing the gospel, yes, we think about sharing our testimony, but that is not sharing the gospel. Because my testimony is not what saves an individual. Now, the, the testimony and how God may have worked in my life may draw our friends and family to listen, but it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can actually change someone's life. We see it time and time again in Acts that they were preaching the gospel and then the apostolic teaching and mostly focused on the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, by how, and how by faith we can receive his benefits. So yes, we need to share our testimony. But we can't get confused with, we can't confuse that with evangelism. Because my story, my testimony is not what's going to save. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here specifically, we, hear, we see Peter, we read Peter sharing the good news. Our life is not the gospel. Christ's life is the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation and so this passage, we're going to see why the gospel, who of the gospel, and how we can experience this gospel message. So we see Peter opened up his mouth. He's about to share something weighty, and he says this, truly, I understand. And this word understand is like, this is something new for him. Peter's gotten the vision. He understands the, uh, he understands the vision, and he understands, first of all, he says that, that God shows no partiality. So if you're taking notes, what is the why of the gospel? Why, why this gospel of good news about the life, death, and resurrection, why do we even have it? Why do we have the opportunity to trust in it? Why do we have the opportunity to hear it and to believe in it? Why has God afforded us that? He wasn't obligated to do so. Why? If you're taking notes, the why of the gospel, number one, is that God shows no partiality. We see it in verse 34. It says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Here he's talking about the character of God. 
Here he's literally specifically speaking to God of, of God in heaven, God uh, who created the universe, that when it comes to people, he shows no partiality, that he's not a God who has favorites. He's not a God who says, this person can come, but this one can't. He shows no partiality. We see in Scripture that he shows no partiality in judgment, that all men will stand before him. And he's not weighing men's good. And if, if, you were, if you're from this ethnicity or from, you're this social class, you're from here, that he'll show you favor and not you. But here specifically in this text, it's in context, that he shows no partiality in salvation. Because here, what's the context? We have Gentiles and we have Jews. So far, the only Jews have believed, except for the Ethiopian eunuch and the Samaritans who were kind of half Jew. But here, Peter says, I understand this, that God shows no partiality between Jew and Gentile. And what he's showing, actually, he says, and if you call it, he says, you yourselves know what happened to him in Jerusalem. And so that, that leaves us to entertain the thought. So they had heard about Jesus. So maybe they, they had heard about this Jewish Messiah, but maybe for them, they said, but that only pertains to the Jews. Because they had heard about it, but maybe it hasn't been for them. And so Peter starts his sermon, opens his mouth and says, listen to me, God shows no partiality. What, what, how the Jew has uh, access to salvation, so do you. Ultimately, what this is telling us is that anyone who turns to God would not be rejected based on any distinction. That God shows no partiality. So why the gospel? Because we have a God in heaven who for some reason loves us and shows no partiality between any distinction. That in itself should go, all right, well, that's, that's pretty good. Why the gospel? Because God, God is love. And for some reason, he has poured his love upon sinful people. And he shows no partiality by race, ethnicity, social class. He has no partiality. Not only that, but Peter tells us that he welcomes the sinner. Look, look at verse 35. He shows no partiality, but in every nation. So this is not just... Jerusalem, this is not the Jewish nation, but he says in every nation, in every nation, anyone, check that word, anyone, anyone who fears him and does, not, does what is right and is acceptable to him. So not only is there a God who shows no partiality based on distinction, but he actually welcomes any sinner who is seeking after him, anyone who, who and we've seen it in Cornelius already, right? He's a God-fearer. He does what is right. He gives charity. He prays nonstop. Here's this guy who is, who is obeying, if you will. He is living up to the light in which he had been given, right? Everybody with me? Like, this kind of, I'm not going to dive into it, but this kind of answers the question about God's sovereignty, like, what happens to the, the person who's born in a country who, who never, has never heard the gospel, right? What we're seeing is Cornelius has been, God had been drawing and working where Cornelius had, had realized that there was this God out there and he was, he was living up to the light in which he had been given. You follow me? And what did God do? He got the gospel to him. You follow me? So what we see here is God in his sovereignty, this man who had been literally lived, doing as much as he knew to do, and God got the gospel to him. I don't have time to dive into that anymore, but what we see is God welcoming a sinner. And this is remarkable because even on this best day, a sinner still falls short, yet God welcomes a sinner. And this is how I know that. You look at the end of verse 35, it says, Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable 
to him. This word acceptable to him in the Greek literally means marked by a favorable, favorable manifestation of divine pleasure. So what this is actually saying is, and it, and it, it is that when so Cornelius and his people were ready to believe, they were following what they knew. And what had happened is God had already marked them as favorable and brought them to the place that they were ready to believe. Everybody with me? Maybe not. What had happened, what we see in this, what this, this, this verse is teaching us is that God had already been working in Cornelius' life that whenever he came, it was already evidence that God was drawing him. It was already evidence that God had been working in his life. We actually never see in here a moment when Cornelius goes, yes, I believe in this. He was already ready. to. At this point, he hasn't believed yet, but God had already been working. It's like a pre-salvation condition that we see that God, through the Holy Spirit, was drawing and turning this man's heart to Jesus, whom he hadn't even heard yet. Man, I hope you see the sovereignty of God and the beautiful power of God even in salvation. This marks a work that God had already been doing in the sinner's heart, made him ready for salvation. This is someone, as I said, who has responded to the light given that God, that God will get the gospel to him. The third thing that we see about why the gospel, not only does God show no partiality, not only is God, even here in the United States, but around the world, that God is drawing men to himself, that God makes peace with sinners. Look at verse 36. Hey, it says, and as for the word that he sent to Israel. Who's the he that sent it? God. As the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Why the gospel? Because God is a God who shows no partiality, but for some reason loves us. And for some reason, he, he's orchestrating through his sovereignty and providence that he's drawing men to himself. So much so that he sent peace through the person of his son. That's why, that's the why of the gospel. Has nothing to do with me and you. Has nothing to do with our merits. Has nothing to do with our good days. It is God, for some reason, who is love, decides to put his favor on a broken mankind and says, it's not by class or distinction. I'm going to begin to draw you. But not only that, I'm going to give you the actual gospel message through my son who can save that's the why of the gospel. The word he sent to Israel, preaching good news, and says he's preaching news, the good news of peace. Because here's the thing. Peace, I, I think, I think it, Peter uses, through the Holy Spirit, he uses the word peace there for, for multiple reasons. I think, obviously, it's the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Right, so you know, contextually, he uses this message of peace to break down these walls, maybe even the Gentiles, of, of being in fear. He says, listen to me, Jesus came bringing peace. First of all, with God, right? So now because God shows no partiality and he's drawing all men from every nation because of Jesus, now Jew and Gentile can have peace with God. But because of that peace, now Jew and Gentile can have peace with one another. Well, what Peter is preaching here, it's holistic. He's saying, listen to me, God the one who's impartial, the one who's drawing men to himself, he sent Jesus to, first of all, make peace between God and man, and secondary, make peace between man and man. He brought good news that God sent. And it's fascinating that, that Peter starts the sermon with the peace that Jesus brought, and he ends it. In the last verse, in verse 43, what does he say? 
all who believe will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Because the reality is there is no way that you and I can have peace with God apart from his wrath, his anger being kindled and us being forgiven of our sin. That's the message that Peter preaches that from the end and the, the beginning and the end is that Christ came to make peace between God and man and man and man. And then in the middle of that, he tells us the who of the gospel. So keep following with me. The answer is Jesus, by the way. That is the who of the gospel. The attention is to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. I told you the apostolic teaching focused on Jesus' earthly ministry, his life, focused on his death, and focused on his resurrection. It's an historical event that everything else hinges upon. Peter says, or Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if, if Christ hasn't been resurrected, then we of all people should be pitied. Like it is the most important thing that we could share with someone. So first of all, if you're taking notes, is the who of the gospel is that it's Jesus. And the first thing we see is that Jesus lived. Verse 36, it says, as, uh, as for the word that he sent, he being God, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. That first of all, Jesus is the bringer of peace. That he was sent from heaven to bring a message of peace. He he, he came to bring peace between, as I said, God and man, and man and man. This is God's offering of peace through his son. We only can have peace with God, like I said, when his anger is put away and our sins are forgiven. And this is the first and last thing that he says. So what we see is that, first of all, Jesus lived, and him living, he, he was the bringer of peace. Everybody with me? He's the bringer of peace. The second thing that we see in verse 36 is that he is the Lord of all. He, he lived and he was the bringer of peace. But with him, when he's bringing peace, God didn't send an errand boy. He didn't even send an angel. He, brought, he sent the Lord of all to bring peace between God and man and man and man. He's the Lord of all. Not just the Lord of the Jews, but even the Lord of the Gentiles. He's the universal ruler. So what's the gospel? Is that for some reason, God, who's impartial, is drawing people to himself so much so that he sent the Lord of all the universe to share the good news. And I'm only two verses in, y'all. Not only is he the Lord of all, but he was also a man anointed with the spirit and power. Look at verse if we keep reading, verse 37, he says, You yourselves know what happened to all Judea, beginning with, from Galilee after the baptism of John. So Paul, that's what I was talking about. They had heard about this Jesus guy, but maybe they didn't think it was for them. It was just for the Jews. And he's saying, listen, you heard that, but you have just as much access to it as we do. Everybody with me on that? So anyway, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Pause for a moment. I think this is a beautiful gospel presentation because not only did he preach the, the deity of Jesus, and he's the Lord of all, but he says that in Jesus of Nazareth. What is he doing there? He's giving him a hometown. He's giving him a place that they had friends and family in there. People would have knew. We see his humanity here. Matter of fact, in this gospel presentation, all members of the Trinity are there. It's the, God sent the Son, and the Son came as man, and the Holy Spirit anointed him with power. We see the whole Trinity there, but and we're going to keep going, but this is not a Trinitarian sermon, so we're going to keep moving. I guess it is, but it's not about the Trinity. Uh, so there's a man anointed, verse 38. 
His anointed, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. When he's preaching, no lie, and it's no wonder we believe that the, the, even the Gentiles had some type of understanding of the Jewish Messiah to be understood to be the anointed one, the, the one who God's anointing rested upon. And Peter said, listen to me, when, when God was ready to bring priest, uh, peace, he sent the Lord of all as a man who was born in Nazareth. And the anointing of God was on him. And he, and he walked in power through the spirit and the power. He is, fully, he is the Lord of all. And here's the cool thing. He's human like me and you without sin. The craziness of the gospel is that for us to be saved, our Savior had to be man. He had to come and take on human form to be able to, listen to me, to live a representative life. Because God's requirements of perfection to the law did not change. He still required perfection. So what did we need? We needed somebody to come to live under the law, but never fall short. To represent our life by perfectly living the law. But only did we need a representative life, we needed a substitutionary death. So Christ came, not only did he live the life for us, but he died the death for us as well. That's why he had to be man. So that, that Jesus to, could redeem the old Adam and make a new Adam, right? Like the, there's a new, a new mankind, if you will, in the work of Christ. He was fully man and fully God. And the things he did attested to the fact that God was with him. And he was sent by God. We've already seen that in Acts already when Peter preaches how him. He says, you yourselves know how God attested to the works of Jesus. There was miracles that God said, this is the anointed one. And he talks about baptism. We understand in, in Jesus' baptism that the spirit descended and the voice from heaven said, this is my son. And whom, you know, we know that. So we see that why the gospel is that the God of the universe who Shows no partiality, yet drawing men to himself sends not an errand boy, but he sends the Lord of all to take on flesh, to live a perfect, obedient life, but also to die a substitutionary death. And it gets even better. Look at verse 38b. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was stronger than sin, and he was stronger than Satan. Whenever it says that he, he went about doing good, literally what Peter is speaking of, like he was complete goodness. Like he never did bad. Like it's not just good acts. Like he himself was good is what Peter is saying. He walked in goodness around doing good, and we understand that he was trialed, and he was tempted, yet he never failed. He was completely good. No wrong in him. Complete opposite of you and I. Not only that, he was freeing those who were oppressed by the devil, by the enemy, by the Satan. He was stronger than sin. Sin couldn't defeat him. But by this, he broke the bonds of oppression by the word of his mouth and the might of his hand. That those who were tormented by, by the devil, those who were tormented by oppression, that he was able to free them from their bondage and free them from their oppression. 
And you and I got to believe that Jesus rescues even now to those who are oppressed and harassed and tormented and tempted by the devil. And Peter wants them to know this, that not even their racial divide can keep them from the saving grace of Christ. So what is the, why is the gospel? We've seen it. What is the gospel? Is that God sent peace, not to Israel, but to all people in the person of the Lord of all, who came as a man, who lived a good life, who in, in essence, he was delivering people even before his death from the bondage of sin. And the, the, next, the next thing is that not only did Jesus live, but Jesus died. He was killed in spite of his goodness, verse 39 tells us. And we are witnesses of all that he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, but they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. In spite of being the peacemaker, in spite of being the Lord of all, in spite of being not uh, anointed with the power and being stronger than sin and devil, the devil, he was killed. And it's evident by this text that we have to understand that he was killed because God had allowed it. Because he was the Lord of all. If he didn't want to die, he, what he says, nobody takes my life. Matter of fact, remember when the church was praying back in Acts chapter 4. They prayed this in verse 27, it says, for truly, speaking of the events of Jesus' death, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, same person Peter's talking about, right, whom you anointed, right, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. What, does it, what do they pray? To do whatever your hand had, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Like Peter already knew, the church already knew in the prayer that even Jesus' death was a part of the plan and the will of God. I, I love the word that we see back in that prayer that they, they came and they conspired against you. And ultimately it says to do whatever, whatever your hand had planned. Right? And so they think they were winning, but it's literally whatever God had planned. So we see why the gospel, there's a God who's impartial. I'm going to overstate it, by the way. I'm going to keep talking about it over and over again, right? So we get it. There's a God who's impartial, who makes no distinction upon race, class, or anything. He's drawing people to himself, and he gave them a specific word of peace in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, who's the Lord of all, who took on flesh who lived a perfectly good life, who freed people from oppression, yet he was killed. But it was the will of God to crush him. Not just for him to live a representative life, but the very wrath that this impartial God had on sinners was poured upon this Lord of all. Not only did Jesus die, but he rose again. He lived. He died. Third aspect of apostolic preaching of the gospels that Jesus rose again. Look at verse 40. But God, the same God that sent him, the same God that was with him, the same God that raised him. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. The Jesus... Not only did he come as Lord of all, take on flesh, do good, completely good, live a representative life, 
free from those, free those who are oppressed. He died on a cross. He died our death, but God raised him from the dead. Not in like he says, and he had been seen. It wasn't like just this idea. No, he physically, bodily raised from the dead. Him being alive means that there's a sufficient payment that God accepted the payment. Ultimately, sees that God wouldn't leave the peacemaker dead. He raised him and vindicated. Philippians tells us his name above every name. That at his name every knee will bow in heaven and earth. See, the Lord of all came in a servant role the first time, but now because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's now seated, and now the Father has given him a name above every name, and that's exactly what the next thing is, is that he's the final judge of all people. That has to be a part of our gospel presentation, by the way. Matter of fact, look how indicative it is. Look, if you look, uh, verse 41, not all the people, not to all the people, but to us who had, had been chosen by God's witnesses, uh, by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Check out verse 42. And he commanded us to preach. Preach what? To the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. What did he tell them to preach specifically? That Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. Our gospel presentation has to include that one day all man will stand before Christ as their judge. Now, Justin, that ain't gonna that ain't gonna win people. Well, no, your testimony isn't either. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ will. What God has done will get you their ear, but only the gospel can get their heart. All men will stand before him, and he is impartial. Ultimately, every person sitting in a chair right now, you ready? Jesus will decide where you spend eternity. And his decision then is based on your decision now. You'll either be condemned justly, and sent into everlasting torment, or you will be pardoned and received into everlasting joy. What's the difference between the two? I'm glad you asked because Jesus is a source of God's forgiveness. Look at verse 43. To him, all the prophets bear witness, what Peter's saying, everything that we've read in the past, everything we've been told about, it's about Jesus. And this is what he says. To all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So who is the gospel? His name is Jesus. Jesus, the Lord of all, took on man, took on flesh, came and lived a perfectly good life on man's behalf. Free those who are oppressed by the bondage of the evil. And in spite of his goodness, humanity killed him. But whatever they were doing was actually to accomplish whatever the plan of God was because the Messiah had to die as well. But the good news is the peacemaker didn't stay dead. That God raised him from the dead and made him visible for many people, specifically the apostles. So the apostles can now go preach this good news. But here's the awesome thing. 
when he, re- when he was resurrected, and what we understand is that eventually he ascended. And what happens is that the God of the universe, the same God who sent him, the same God who crushed him, the same God who raised him, brought him and set him down and gave him a name above every name. Now he alone, only in his name, can he pardon somebody. Only he has the authority to look at humanity and go, you can be saved. Why? Because he is the gospel. He alone has the right. And here's the good news. All, listen to this, all who believe in him can be forgiven of their sin. You mean to tell me he did all of that and all I've got to do is simply trust in who he is, was, and the work that he's done? Absolutely. It's too good to be true. It is, but it's true. It ain't like one of those infomercials or something you see, like get this little thing that goes around your stomach and it just vibrates and then you take it off and you get like a 12-pack. That's usually too good to be true. Usually if it seems too good to be true, it is. But in this case, it seems too good to be true, but it is. It is true. So what's the how? How does the gospel work? I've already answered it, but let's break it down. It says, all who believe, all who believe that he is the peacemaker, all, all who believe that he is the only one who can make peace between God and man. Not any other avenues, not any other routes, Christ and Christ alone can make peace. To believe, to have faith that he is the Lord of all. That's what I'm saying. Our belief is in an actual historical event. Are you following me? that God and his son sent peace, the Lord of all took on flesh. I believe, I believe that. And he died a death that I should have died. I believe in that. And he was buried and he raised again. I believe in that. I wrote it down like this. I trust in him with, with my life as Lord of all. We trust in him with our life as God's anointed one, full of spirit and power. We trust in him with our life, that he's stronger than sin and Satan. We trust that he's the one who died and rose again and lives today. We trust in him as the one who would be the judge, the final judge is living in the dead. And I trust in him to be the forgiver of sins. What do, I, what do we believe in? We believe in what Peter just preached, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. He is who he is. It says that they will receive forgiveness of sins. Notice that. It's a gift. They will receive it. The God had already been, the God who's impartial already began drawing people. And all they needed, all Cornelius and his family needed, was to hear the very message that could save them. They were ready. The Holy Spirit had already been working. And they received forgiveness of sin. It's a gift. And it ends by saying, through his name. So how do we experience this gospel? How do we get the benefits? We believe in Jesus as our only peacemaker, the one who died for our sins, raised to purchase our salvation. And I trust him even in judgment that by his grace he will pardon me.
It's that simple. It's that easy. As Luke comes up to play over us, my question to you this morning is, will you believe? I don't have a lot of, like, five steps of applying this text. There's really only two. The first one is, will you believe? Will you trust in Jesus as the only peacemaker that God has sent between you and him? His payment is sufficient. You have to add nothing to it. What I wrote down after the fact, you see that like it was typed and then I just started writing stuff. And so usually, you know, I'm going to get on a tangent, but I'm not. It means I wrote it down at a random time. But I wrote this down. Are you, are you Cornelius? I don't know if you remember when Luke introduced Cornelius to us. After he got through reading his traits, he made a statement and said this, Cornelius would be the man who all of us would want to be on the committee at church. He prayed the right way. He was a God-fearer. He looked the part. Yet he had not trusted Jesus as the only way of salvation. So I wrote down this morning, are you him? I believe that our churches are filled with Corneliuses. That's not me bashing, but in South Mississippi, we have this, I'm, I'm not even called easy, easy believers, we're going to have this thing that there's an image of what a Christian is. Somebody who's a follower of Jesus, they look this way, externally. Like everybody can see it. Like I'm not talking about internal and like, at our house when nobody sees. I'm talking about that image that we can portray. And it's very easy for us to morph into that. Man, it's very easy to just start coming to church. It's inconvenient, but I could go. I could go. It's, it's convenient with Spotify or K-Love that I can learn Christian songs and I can sing them. Christian music's gotten better, so you actually can enjoy it, right? Like there's, uh, you can actually just listen to it. Very easy to get a part of a small group and assimilate in. But the question is, are you trusting in Jesus? Because that's the point of this text. That he is the gospel. And if anybody would believe in him as their peace, as the, for their salvation, they will receive forgiveness of sins. Listen to me. It's a whole lot less burdensome than my salvation be dependent upon an image that I'm portraying. Man, it's a whole lot less, it's a whole lot more freeing. If, if my closest to God is based on your perception of me, I better not have a bad day. Everybody with me like, because that's a lot of pressure to be walking on eggshells because if I mess up, they're going to think I'm not a Christian. Listen to me. I hate to tell you this. This is not me being whatever. My relationship with Jesus is not based on your perception of me. Now, my relationship with Jesus will be evident. It'll be evident in your perception of me. But I'm not holding on to your approval 
for me to stand before Jesus one day to, to hopefully be pardoned. So if, you, if, you're, if your fear of, of not believing in Jesus today is, well, so-and-so thought I was a Christian. Or so-and-so really thought, like, I've really... Man, how freeing would it be for you just to let that image go today and just trust in Jesus? I'm, I'm imploring you, by the way. I'm persuading you. I don't do this often, but will you trust in him? Will you? Because he alone is the only way that we can have peace with God. Listen, you're not going to have peace with those around you. There's always something unless... You first have peace with God. Everything is directed upon and dependent upon our relationship with God. I guess the second application would be, Christian, I, I implore you, I beseech you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tie your story and get their ear with your story, but may we not withhold the power of God unto salvation from anybody. It's the beauty of the gospel is that I can stand up here on some Sundays and never have something stuck in my throat or it could be like last week where I coughed the whole time. The gospel has the power to save, not my voice, not my ability to articulate correctly because we know I can't do that. Will you preach the gospel, share the gospel that Jesus came, he died, he rose again. And now he alone is the forgiver of sins. Say, just I, I don't remember all that. What the good news is, is even though we're not having small groups this week, my sermon outline is on the website. I don't remember the points to be able to share. Well, it, it's there. You can go, you can use my sermon outline to talk about the gospel. It's the very one I just preached on, except for the scribbles on the end I just showed you. Because electronic form. I'm about to pray. Bible ask you, what's keeping you from believing this morning? Don't let pride be what keeps you. I'm gonna be standing down here in the front. If you need to come and pray, I'm standing down here. All you need to say is, hey, I wanna believe in Jesus so we can talk through that. And as I pray, the band's already gonna be coming up and then they'll begin to lead us. And at that point, we will stand. And if you need to respond today, I'll be down here. Cool. Let's pray, Father, we love you. Yeah, we thank you for your gospel message. God, we thank you for the simplicity of Peter's sermon. <clears throat> that every single person sitting in this room can literally read Acts chapter 10 and have their own gospel presentation. It's not plagiarism because it's your word that they just preach it. God, if there's anyone sitting in here today that's trusting in anything other than Jesus and his finished work, God, that today they will trust in your son. <laughs> that they will let go of images, they will let go of pride. Maybe what they need to be told this morning is that one day we all will stand before this Jesus as our judge. And at that point, it's too late. But today, you're offering them an opportunity to be pardoned that 
when they do stand before their judge, they will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not depart from me, you worker of iniquity.